Hello, and welcome to Four Advisors, a podcast for and about financial advisors. I'm your host, Dave Polis, and today we have something a bit different for you, something purpose-built for those advisors who have clients who might be stuck in their investment strategy. Either they've pulled out due to volatility or fear of a pullback, or they have additional funds to invest but can't seem to bring themselves to invest it, seeing the market reaching repeated all-time highs in recent months. This presentation features Ken Zanoni, Managing Partner, and Rich Barrett, Chief Investment Officer of Congress Wealth Management, along with guests Carl Noble, Senior VP of Investments, Sean Dillon, Senior VP of Investment Strategy, and Soro Locatelli, Director of Quantitative Research of Congress Wealth Management, discussing how investing during all-time highs needn't be scary with the right guidance. Good morning, everybody, and thank you for joining us today. We've got a, a great topic on the investment uh, standpoint that we're going to talk about today, and that's really uh, plays into some themes. We've had a lot of conversations both with clients and prospective clients about, and really it's this concept of inertia where we see people kind of get stuck behaviorally, where they might have cash on the sidelines, or perhaps they went to cash and they meant to get back in, but they didn't get back in. And the challenge with this market that we face today is the market continues to go higher and higher. And I think what we're all seeing and reading about is this concept of, hey, the market just made another you know, new all-time high today. And I think psychologically, it's really different when you keep being bombarded with information, whether it's CNBC or Bloomberg or Barron's or whatnot, saying, hey, the market's at an all-time high, I think there's a natural reaction uh, for investors to, to, to not want to invest when the market's at a quote-unquote all-time high. And this is a pretty common occurrence that we see, and it's certainly conversations we've had for years with clients about you know, how to get, navigate in this type of an environment. And so we had a lot of questions about it, and what we decided to do was to gather the entire investment team just to kind of talk about it and what happens when people do invest at all-time highs and when they've invested at all-time highs in the past versus waiting for pullbacks and you know, waiting for the market to sell off a bit before we put cash to work. And uh, we're going to have Rich Barrett, our chief investment officer, John Dillon, Carl Noble, Saro Locatelli kind of talk about what the data would actually suggest. Because sometimes what you might hear might not always be reflected in you know, accurate data. And that's really what we've done an analysis on that we'd like to share with you today. So before I turn it over to Rich Barrett, as always, with all of our webinars and Zoom conference calls that we do, I need to read some compliance language. And before starting this, uh, this call, I want to remind all participants that on this call, we will be making forward-looking statements that involve various risks and uncertainties. When we use words such as believe, expect, anticipate, will, and the like, we are making forward-looking statements. Any forward-looking statements made during this call are subject to the safe harbor provisions of the Private Securities Litigation Reform Act of 1995. In addition, all participants on the call are invited to review CWM's Form ADV, which is available at www.sec.gov, as well as on the Congress Wealth website, www.congresswealth.com. Any charts or graphs used on today's call are for illustrative purposes only. As always, that is a mouthful. And with that, I want to turn it over to our Chief Investment Officer, Rich Barrett. Great. Thanks, Kenny. And thanks for everybody joining us today. Um, yeah, the topic about buying at an all-time high is one that comes up in almost every client meeting, prospect meeting that we encounter. Um, and, and as Kenny rightfully says, we wanted to put some data, as we always do, kind of behind a framework about thinking about you know, portfolios, building out portfolios, allocating money to, to, to markets when markets hit an all-time high. Um, you know, joined today by Sean and Carl and Sauro, and, and, and we've got some great data behind this. So I'm going to... Um, quickly um, 
pop up a, a, a presentation um, that kind of goes through this. The, the data here goes back to 1928, it's daily S&P 500 uh, returns uh, and information. So it goes back, you know, 80 or 90 years. So this, it's a robust data set as we all, as we all always look at. And, and the first slide here, I'll kind of hand it over to Sean and he'll kind of take it through. And it's really kind of the recent, most recent history about all time high and how they factor into the construct of a bull market. So Sean, take it away. Thanks, Rich. Um, as Rich mentioned, we wanted to first take a look at the raw data behind all time highs in the chart below. Um, we go back to 2013, which is sort of the secular break higher in the S&P 500 above 2000 and 2007 levels. And the main takeaway here is that we wanted to show that uh, bull markets, all time highs in a bull market are a feature. It's not a bug. They happen all the time. Going back to 2013, we've had 33 all time highs per year on average. Um, and even in tough markets like 2018, when we had the, the Fed mistake um, and a pal pivot, there were still 19 new highs in that year. In 2020, um, after, after the COVID drop in March, we still experienced 33 new all-time highs. Um, and so again, this is, is, this is exactly what, what happens in strong trending bull markets moving higher. We, we continue to see new all-time highs. Going into the far right of the chart, looking at 2021, we've already had 26 new highs as of June 2nd. Um, so if you were concerned with, with investing at all-time highs um, on the first new high of 2021 called January 2nd, you missed out on 25 additional new all-time highs. You missed out on 12% returns. And the other guys are going to go over some of the data behind uh, some of the opportunity costs and, and return data um, surrounding um, the decision to not invest when markets are at all-time highs. Um, for, for us, what we want to also make clear is that um, in all-time highs, you should not be worried, assuming that the rest of the data is in your favor as well. Um, if earnings growth is very strong, if the yield curve is very steep and the Fed is, is easy and the, and the business cycle is starting to uh, move higher, um, you're, you should expect to see new all-time highs continue throughout the year. And that's certainly what we expect this year. Hey, Sean, what happened in 2017? Because if the average is 33 and in 2017, it looks like we had twice that. I mean, I don't know how many specific trading days there are in any calendar year, but it seems like that's a pretty healthy percentage of trading days that we were hitting an all-time high. It's, it certainly was. Um, 62 no all-time highs in 2017. This was um, the year directly after the passage of, of the, the, the tax cuts from, from President Trump. Um, and markets had a very, very low volatile year um, where the pullbacks were very shallow. You had two to three percent pullbacks as your best opportunity to get invested while the market continued to grind higher um, and just um, really have a really strong um, year that year. Maybe an opportunity to, to, to hand it over to Carl and Carl can kind of take us through the tough math on all this. There's a lot of information here, but, but Carl, maybe you can kind of take us through how, how investors should think about forward returns from when we've hit all time highs, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. And, and as you mentioned earlier, we, we wanted to take a very close look at the data uh, historically going all the way back to 1928 on, on the S&P 500, just to really get a better sense of exactly how the market behaves after hitting an all-time high. You know, really either trying to dispel or uh, confirm whether or not, you know, investors should be fearful when that's happening. And I think the results, you know, as we looked at this were uh, pretty interesting and maybe even will be surprising for some people. So 
Um, uh, what we're looking at here, as you mentioned, are forward returns on the S&P for two different timeframes, looking ahead six months and the next 12 months um, in order to compare uh, how the market has behaved after hitting an all-time high and then all the other periods when it's not hitting an all-time high. So taking the chart to the left first, which is looking out over the next six months, uh, the blue bar is just showing you the average return over the next six months. And that first panel there is showing from an all-time high, it's about 4.7%. All the other periods, it's about 4.4% on, on the right panel. Um, and so you can see that's pretty similar. It's a little bit better from an all-time high, but pretty similar. Uh, the orange bar is actually the average drawdown that investors should expect or, or average sell-off. Um, and you can see from an all-time high, it's about a little over 6%. But all the other periods, the, you know, the average drawdown in the S&P is actually around 7.5%. So it's, you know, act, the drawdown is a little bit better from an all-time high. But I think what really sticks out when we look at this is the, is the gray bar, which shows you the chance of experiencing a greater than 10% drawdown. From an all-time high over the next six months, it's a little over 15%. And all the other periods, it's actually 26%. So it's a much higher chance of a, of a drawdown in excess of 10% um, when you're not at an all-time high, as opposed to being at an all-time high. Uh, the chart to the right is looking out the exact same uh, time frame and analysis looking out over the next 12 months. And you can see the results are, are pretty similar here. The average return is actually a little bit better from an all-time high compared to all other periods. The average drawdown is a little bit better in the sense that, it, that it's you know, only around 8.5% versus 10.5% um, uh, in all other periods. And then again, uh, the odds of a drawdown of, of greater than 10% are lower from an all-time high. So again, I think you know, to us, this does in some ways dispel this notion that people should be afraid that the market is hitting an all-time high and is about to experience a big sell-off you know, it's not in the historical data. Um, and so that was something that we were very interested uh, to discover when we, when we took a close look at this. Carl, this is fascinating because I can guarantee you most retail investors have no idea this data is what it is. I think people would, I think if you, if you poll people, they would probably think the exact opposite because I think the concern is less about, you know, what does the blue bar say, right? You know, what's the return actually going to be? When we talk to investors, especially people with cash or people who've been sitting on the sideline, the number one thing they're worried about is that gray bar. It's, you know, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to put my cash to work and I know, you know, the market's going to sell off by 10%, you know, the next week. That's literally the words that come out of people's mouths, I think, when we have these types of conversations. But when you look at the data, especially for the six months, and you're almost twice as likely to get a 10% pullback by not investing at an all-time high. I mean, I think that will definitely be information that will that people will be very, very surprised at. Exactly. One of the, that was one of the things, like I said, that really jumped out to us. And look, I think people, you know, innately kind of understand the saying that you're supposed to buy low and sell high. And so again, to your point, I think that they think when the market goes up that it that it's going to go lower again. But you know, when you're in bull markets, as Sean said, historically, that's really not the case. You know, bull markets can last for a long time. They can make a series of new all-time highs, and that's what we've been seeing, um, you know, quite a bit over the last, you know, period that Sean talked about. Are you an RIA or financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, but feel like you could use some help? Feel like there are lots of growth options out there, but don't have time to research them and don't want to make an expensive mistake? Want to spend more time helping clients instead of time-consuming investment research, compliance checks, or transactional work? If you answered yes to any of these, Congress Wealth Advisor Solutions has the answers you need. 
With a range of outsource options and professional investment management and financial planning support, Congress Wealth Advisor Solutions has a solution that fits your needs, budget, and circumstances to help you scale up, grow your practice, or put a succession plan in place. Call to get more information or set up an appointment with a representative at 201-919-4838. Thanks, Carl. And, and, and Zaro's done a lot, of, a lot of the great work behind here and I wanted to give him kind of the, the moment to the, the, the punchline to all of this, which looks at the enormous opportunity cost of waiting to buy and, and, and there's probably some explaining here, Sarah, that you're going to need to take us all through kind of like what the math was behind this. But the line looks really good, but I'll let you kind of tell everybody what you, what you think of kind of all of this. Of course. Thanks, Rich. Uh, so Carl showed us that uh, performance following all-time highs is just as good as from any other time. And so we wanted to take that information and uh, uh, bring it to um, bring our exercise to um, a bit of an extreme here. And, you know, the thinking is the following, right? So let's think of an example of an investor who has fresh capital that he or she needs to deploy into the market. And the market is at an all-time high. So the investor needs, needs to decide, do I invest right now or do I wait until the market, um, you know, experiences some kind of correction? And if the investor decides to wait for a correction, the implicit assumption of that decision is that between the all-time high and the correction, uh, cash is going to be a better investment than stocks. Um, and so um, we wanted to see what the effect of that type of decision could be when repeated over a number of times. And so we have um, created a simulation, uh, a back-tested investment strategy uh, going back to 1928. And the strategy is the following. We are going to be investing in the S&P 500 until the market reaches an all-time high. And then we're going to sell our investments and move to cash until we get a correction in the market. And at that time, we're going to redeploy our cash and reinvest into the S&P 500. And um, that's the, on this chart that you're seeing on the screen, that's uh, shown with the orange line, whereas the blue line represents a, just a simple uh, buy and hold investment in the S&P 500. Uh, once again, we're going back to 1928. And um, I mean, the chart is, you know, it's pretty staggering. Um, you know, the numbers that you see all the way to the right is essentially the ending amount uh, of, uh, you know, if you invested $1 in the S&P 500 in 1928, um, if you just, you know, let it compound in the S&P 500, uh, your portfolio would be worth almost $70,000 today. Uh, this is through the beginning of June. Uh, but if you follow that strategy of avoiding all-time highs and sitting in cash until you have a correction, uh, your portfolio would have grown to uh, just above $2,600. So that's a, a, a huge difference in, in ending uh, value. Now, the annualized, the equivalent annualized performance uh, would have been about 7.3% uh, for the S&P 500. Uh, but for the orange line, it would have been uh, about 3.7%, so uh, about half as much as the S&P 500. But when you take that, you know, differentially annual performance, and you compound that over, you know, here we're talking about 92 and a half years, um, it, you know, it creates a huge difference, which, um, again, just gives you an idea of the, the type of money that could be left on the table uh, by making that 
type of decision over and over and over again. Um, so back to you, Rich. So can I ask you a question on that? Because, you know, I, I do think when I look at this chart, you know, we certainly don't go to market and suggest people just, you know, blindly invest in index funds for 100 years because we think about markets and cycles when we reset asset allocations and we shift them along the way. But I do think, um, I do think investors are not aware of how important it is to be in markets for long terms. And why is the data, I mean, it's, it's literally 30 times better to, to not do this behavior, which is a common behavior, by the way. I often hear people say, hey, market just hit an all-time high. I'm going to take some cash off the side, you know, put some cash on the sidelines, trim some of my gains, et cetera, et cetera. Why is it so, why is it so skewed? Is the market just not, um, the down, do those 10% corrections just not happen nearly as frequently as the all-time highs? Well, they happen, but uh, as, as, uh, as Sean pointed out, all-time highs are a feature of, uh, of a bull market. And so if you sell your stocks and move to cash, as soon as you hit an all-time high, you may be selling right or very close to the beginning of a bull market, which could last a long time. And based on what Carl showed, uh, the performance following all-time highs is the same, if not slightly better, uh, than the average performance of the market. So essentially, anytime you move to cash, you are foregoing um, pretty healthy returns uh, and, and just sitting in cash. And so, um, you know, prolonging that and, and repeating that decision over a long period of time can, can generate, uh, you know, pretty significant results in terms of, uh, of underperformance. Hey, Rich, let me, let me pose a question to you, because I know, you know, a lot of things we talk about with investors is this concept of volatility. So that orange line doesn't look like it really has much in the way of volatility at all. Uh, the blue line is a you know ends up with a much better result, but it also looks like a much bumpier ride. You know what should people? How do people balance that that desire for a portfolio that it doesn't have those big swings up and down all the time that can keep people up at night versus knowing that you know more often than not you're going to have more money in your pocket at the end of the day. Um, yeah, and it's something we talk about all the time is that time is an asset. And as we think of kind of like, you know, investing for 10, 20 and 30 years, you know, over long periods of our own life and stuff like that, that there's absolutely positively going to be bear markets that develop that markets do have periodic sell offs of five and 10% all the time. It's just recognition that over the long period of time, which you're giving up as Saros picture rightfully says, is enormous gains. Like the, maybe put it another way, the cost of insuring your portfolio by jumping out of the way and, and running away and, and, and trying to predict in time when to get in and when to get out, the cost of that is enormous in terms of prospective returns. The probability of success is not very good. If the probability of success was great, then we'd be like, okay, then there's a reasonable, thoughtful way to actually go about doing this. But if time is this enormous asset, then I think people need to, they need to recalibrate their mindset that time is this huge asset. You're investing for decades, not days or weeks or months or quarters. And, and, and the important thing is to not fear all time highs. Yeah. I think, I think the, the data that's been put in front of the group today shows us that all time highs happen um, in bunches uh, when markets break out. I think Sean took us through all of that. I think what the information that Carl took us through, which is returns from all time highs look pretty good. Drawdowns don't look as bad. So even the mindset is I'm going to wait until the 10% return, 10% uh, drawdown happens. 
you actually might be paying up for that experience when ultimately you want to go back in and rebuy the portfolio. Right. You know, that gets, you know, um, selling at 95 and rebuying the same portfolio at 105 isn't a good idea time and time and time again. And then the last thing is like what Sarah just took us through. It's just when we're talking about like investing for decades, letting bull markets work for you, um, you, 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 you have to appreciate and respect what, what all times highs mean and, and not get caught up into what TV and the financial media is in the business of selling. They're trying to get you to jump out of the way and convince yourself you're going to have success in buying the same good, high quality, diversified portfolio back at a lesser price. And the data and historical evidence says contrary to all that. So um, I, th I think what we've seen here is a pretty robust argument that all time highs can be your friend if a couple of other things are happening. You know, the, where I get fearful at all time highs, and, and Sean touched upon this a little bit, is what matters most are whether margins have peaked or not. What matters most is whether earnings have peaked or not. What matters most is Fed policy and whether it's accommodative or being taken away. What matters most is the shape of the yield curve, the relationship between the short and long end of the credit markets and whether it's positively or inversely sloped. And more than anything, what matters is euphoria. Um, all markets, you know, you know the, the old line that, you know, bull markets are, you know, conceived in fear, grow in despair, but die in euphoria. And what, what they happen at the end is that they die in euphoria. They die when everybody gets so excited at exactly the wrong time. But until then, people should respect the, the all-time highs and, and, and what they represent in the construct of the current bull market, which is that we continue to believe that we're at the very early innings of a new economic cycle that emerged post-pandemic, that there's a lot of capital on the sideline that needs to be redeployed and put into risk assets. There's about $5 trillion more in the banking system today than there was 15 months ago, earning zero. And we're doing that in a period in which margins continue to look really good, but corporate earnings are in the midst of exploding. So there's a good fundamental story that's backing up why we're making so many all-time highs right now. And I don't think it should be anything that retail investors should allow to get in their way of, of making good decisions and, and starting building out portfolios through a, you know, a thoughtful, well-diversified, high-quality portfolio construction process. That's great, Rich. This is excellent, guys. This is definitely data that we want to get out there. We want people to be aware of it. And so the takeaways are, you know, I think first and foremost, it's pretty glaring that hitting new all-time highs actually happens a lot more frequently than people probably realize. And so over, since 2013, the market's averaged 33 new all-time highs per year. Uh, number two, I think from a risk perspective, because this is what typically people are worried about, your, your risk of a pullback of greater than 10%. Is actually, is actually significantly less by investing when the market is making an all-time high. And I think the most important thing, and this is, we talked about planning and we talked about goal attainment and people making progress in their financial lives, the opportunity cost of, of not being invested and, and trying to time things and trying to wait for pullbacks is, is, is massive. And I think that's probably the biggest impediment to people actually being able to retire when they want, spend how much they want, give to their kids, be philanthropic, whatever the case may be. So hopefully, hopefully as you as you as you see this data, you understand it, you see the impact longer term. Uh, it'll help uh, you make better investment decisions and help you kind of stay on stay on uh, on point. But as always, if anybody has any questions or follow ups or, or whatnot, feel free to reach out to any of us on this call. But certainly reach directly out to your financial advisor, and uh, we appreciate you taking the time uh, this morning. Thanks very much. Thanks everybody. Thank you. 
listening to Four Advisors, the podcast for and about financial advisors. This program is for educational purposes only, and the opinions expressed here by guests do not necessarily fully or accurately reflect the opinions, legal intent, or nature of Congress Wealth Advisor Solutions, Congress Wealth Management LLC, or their senior management. Please note that Congress Wealth Management LLC is an independent RIA based in Boston, Massachusetts. More information about Congress Wealth Management LLC can be found on its website. Congress Wealth Advisor Solutions, Congress Wealth Management LLC, and their senior management believe this information to be accurate and reliable, but does not warrant it as to completeness or accuracy. Due to rapidly changing market conditions and the complexity of investment decisions, supplemental information and other sources may be required to make informed investment decisions based on your individual investment objectives and suitability specifications. This program is not intended to give legal, investment, or financial planning advice, and opinions and statements made in this podcast should not be relied on as such. No portion of this program is to be construed as a solicitation to buy or sell a security or the provision of personalized investment tax or legal advice. Investing entails the risk of loss of principal.